Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions, so for coverage of the game and everything that happened in Miami, check out the Ringer NFL show for their game recap. And on the site, you can read Danny Heifetz on Andy Reid, Roger Sherman on Patrick Mahomes, and Robert Mays on Kyle Shanahan's Super Bowl Deja Vu. On the Ringer's YouTube channel, make sure to check out Slow News Day with Kevin Clark live from Miami with a bunch of special guests like Miles Teller and Glenn Powell. You can watch and subscribe at youtube.com slash the ringer. Hello and welcome to a special emergency edition of The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Baum and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. I'm joined by fellow staff writers Ben Lindbergh. Hello. Zach Cram. Howdy. And we have Bobby Wagner on the the cues and beats uh, to talk about the biggest baseball news, uh, you know, certainly in terms of on-field impact uh, of the offseason. The Mookie Betts has been traded from the Boston Red Sox to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, I'm just going to run down the details of this three-team, five-player trade. Uh, Boston gets Alex Verdugo and Brewster Gratterall. Uh, the Minnesota Twins get Kent Maeda, and the Dodgers get Mookie Betts, David Price, and Cash. Uh, ben, you wrote about something that I think is getting underplayed Uh, in this whole discussion, which is how good Mookie Betts is and how ahistorical is not the right word, uh, but how unprecedented it is for a player like him to be traded at all. Yes, Mookie is the second best player in baseball. I guess there are a few other guys who could make a case that they belong in that discussion, including one who is now Mookie's teammate. But Mookie's been, by war, certainly the best player other than Mike Trout in the past two seasons, three seasons, four seasons, five seasons, and six seasons, which encompasses his whole career. And the first of those seasons, he came up midway through the year and was a rookie. So basically, from the day he got to the big leagues, he has been the best non-Trout player in the majors. And the combination of his excellence and his age, because he is right in the sweet spot, he's in his physical prime, he's 27, that combination has essentially never happened. There's never been a player quite like this traded. And some of you are saying, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about Babe Ruth? Certainly is on some Red Sox fans' minds. Ruth was sold or purchased. So this was a trade. This is better than that. But just looking at performance in the preceding full two seasons, coupled with age, there's just no one who fits this precise description. Because when you have a player like Mookie Betts, you tend to want to keep him, especially if you are a big market, deep-pocketed team, if you just recently won a World Series, if the guy is homegrown and developed by your franchise and widely beloved and a model citizen, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many reasons why, in theory, this shouldn't have happened, but it has. And you mentioned Babe Ruth, Ben. As as you show in your piece, Betts was actually worth more wins above replacement in the last two seasons than yes. Babe Ruth was <laughs> in the two seasons before he went to the Yankees. And that doesn't mean, you know, Betts is going to do for the Dodgers what Ruth did for the Yankees, but this is historic production. Mm-hmm. That's a real kick in the nuts after the three of us have been writing for the past several years about how Mookie Betts is not as good as Mike Trout. Uh, we're we're going to turn around and say, actually, Mookie Betts is better than Babe Ruth. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the... It is just a beautiful bit of of historical poetry that this trade comes in the 1920 offseason uh, on the, uh, near the 
anniversary of the the no no Nanette trade. It, it like you, why would you um, among all the things I don't understand about this trade from the Red Sox perspective? Why would you try? Why would you invite that kind of of historical parallel? It just seems like such such bad karma above all else. <laughs> Well, they can't control what year it is, I suppose, in fairness to the Red Sox. But yes, this is something that we've had months to get our heads around, and yet my head has not completely gotten around it. And really, I thought up until this week when the rumors really seemed to solidify and it seemed to be getting more concrete that bets would be going either to LA or to San Diego, until then, a large part of me still thought, this is not going to happen. They're going to get to the brink. They won't find the deal that they want because it should be quite a package in return if you're trading Mookie Betts and if you're trading your 2018 World Series MVP, David Price. It's a, a tough thing to sell to your fans. And I think there are reasons that the Red Sox did this that are not entirely about saving money. But certainly a lot of it is about saving money. And that's just not a message that you can really convey to your fan base. Hey, we just (laughs) traded away your favorite player and our best player and a player who would have given us a better chance to make the playoffs in 2020 for payroll flexibility or for resetting our competitive balance tax thresholds. That's just not a very compelling message to most fans. And in fact, I've gotten multiple emails today from Red Sox fans who have asked for my advice on picking a new team. <laughs> so just a, a normal <laughs> yeah. normal day. I, I'm sure that's a minority of Red Sox fans, but that tells you how at least a few fans are feeling right now. It's all the it's it's all the more shocking. Like I was gobsmacked last night when this news broke. And I, like you, I, I think I had a hard time believing it would happen until it actually happened. And just hearing you like list all of Mookie Betts' attributes, like I I went through the whole thing again. Uh, Zach, you wrote last night about the uh, the Dodgers angle of the trade. Uh, was that the easiest column you've ever written? You know, what <laughs> what does this trade do for for the Dodgers? It wasn't easy because, you know, normally when you're writing instant reaction columns like this, you kind of weigh the positives and the negatives and you have a lot of but sentences and however's. But it was almost impossible for me to find a reason that this wouldn't work out for L.A., uh, for a few reasons. Number one, obviously, Mookie Betts is incredible. Even David Price, I think, is being very underrated as a pitcher. Like, he's not the Albert Pujols contract. David Price, especially when he's healthy, is a good pitcher. And if there's any uh, rotation or pitching staff that can shuffle pitchers in and out and massage their uh, injured list trips, it's the Dodgers. Uh, so they gain Price, they gain Betts, and the only two players they lose in this deal are Kenta Maeda, who is immediately replaced by Price, who might be better, and Alex Verdugo, who's immediately replaced by Mookie Betts, who is obviously better. Uh, the Dodgers then made a separate trade, getting rid of uh, Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling. Uh, and that one was kind of weird, sending him to the Angels it's, seemingly yeah, to, to save some money. That's still in progress, we should say. So we yeah. know some of the components of that as we're recording, uh, but it seems like they will get more than Luis Rangifo uh, in return for two actually pretty solid big leaguers. Yeah, but just looking at what they get for bets, essentially they add the second best player in baseball and don't lose anything from their 2020 roster and didn't trade a single top prospect. And just staring at that sentence kind of, it sinks in how well the Dodgers make out here. 
Yes. That's what I can't get over is, you know, one of the things I can't get over is you understand why like the Dodgers wouldn't trade somebody like Gavin Lux or Dustin May, both of whom were on the BP global top 10 when that came out a while back um, because Betts is going to be a free agent next year. But like the Red Sox couldn't get Will Smith in this deal. Like the Dodgers have so much talent and, and Verdugo is a nice player. Like, I think he's going to be a solid big league regular and he does interesting things in terms of his ability to mix contact and power, but there's nothing he does better than Mookie Betts. I mean, there's part of the, I, I guess maybe that's an unfair standard to, to hold him to, but there's a 0% chance that he or, or Gratterall, who's a pitcher I like a lot, turns into the, the kind of player who makes this worth it. Like the Red Sox are going to be worse in the long run. And that's, I mean, that's just my, my continued puzzlement. Uh, and why it defeats the purpose of being the Red Sox if you're going to make a trade like this. Um, and the the Dodgers made out like bandits. I mean, I, this was sort of my follow up column today is like David Price is still pretty good. Like we shouldn't act like he's washed. He's not he's not going to make up the kind of production that you'd expect from a player on his contract. But if you just look at him as a, a pitcher who's going to throw once a week, then yeah, that's a huge asset for any team that's trying to make the playoffs, which describes the Dodgers and the Twins and the Angels and apparently not so much the Red Sox anymore. Yeah, and we should note this does make the Dodgers significantly better. You can't just add Mookie's projected war to whatever you thought the Dodgers were going to win this year because he is replacing above average players, whether it's Peterson or Verdugo. It's not like he is literally replacing a replacement player. The Dodgers already had pretty good players. So, you know, you add a few wins to whatever you thought they would be worth, and now they're even better. They were already, I think, the favorites in the division and really the pennant favorites in the NL as usual. And this is sort of an exception to how Friedman has tended to operate during his tenure in a sense in that he has often resisted the big splashy move or signing with some exceptions. He's certainly re-signed some of his own free agents and he made the U Darvish trade but hasn't always gone out and gotten the best player available when people were calling for him to. And that was defensible because the Dodgers were already really good. This time they did do it. And maybe he did it because he didn't have to give up Gavin Lux or Will Smith or or some of their other really, really tough to part with players. Verdugo is someone who they have resisted trading in the past. And I think he was somewhat redundant because the Dodgers just have such depth and such a, a really great roster. But I think if you're a Dodgers fan, you have to be thrilled about this. But at the same time, keep in mind that the playoffs are still extremely unpredictable, just as the Dodgers have seen for the past few years. So adding Mookie, it gives you a, a better chance to win, but ultimately it, it gets you there and they've had no trouble getting there. And then it's a matter of, well, do the, the three games that Mookie plays in a certain series give you an advantage over whoever would have been there otherwise, you know, in theory, yes, but there's just no guarantee ever, even when you add the second best player in baseball to what was already one of the very best teams in baseball. The Dodgers have a lot of average to above average players and, you know, Mookie Betts is not coming in and and replacing a replacement level player, but this is like, I think any sort of war-based conception of player value tends to undervalue players like Betts and Trout because let's just look at who they gave up. You know, you look at Verdugo, Maeda, Peterson, Stripling, those four guys put together, I don't know, what do they produce over the course of a year? Eight or nine war? You know, that's at least as much as as Betts probably will. 
if not more, but they take up four roster spots and four spots in the lineup or, or the rotation, whereas the Dodgers are combining essentially, you know, four decent players worth of production into one roster spot, one part, one uh, spot in the lineup and one salary. You know, Mookie Betts is making $27 million this year, but that's still a bargain. He'd be mm-hmm. a bargain at $37 million. Yep. Just and because, very- it, but yeah, so Zach, you take it away from here. I, no, I and, and just to even build off that point, the very fact that the Dodgers have a higher internal replacement level than the rest of the league means that you kind of need a player like Betts to upgrade. This is something we talked about earlier this offseason where there were you know, a lot of good free agents available, but once the Dodgers missed on Anthony Rendon, like is Marcelo Zuna or Nick Castellanos going to be a big upgrade on what the Dodgers had? Probably not. So it it made sense that they wouldn't go for those players, but Betts is one of the few players who makes a meaningful difference. And that matters. It also matters that it's not just adding bets for the three games in the playoffs. It's adding bets for the full season for the fans to watch. And I think that gets lost sometimes in this discussion about, yeah, does Betts' surplus value equal Verdugo's surplus value? And how does that translate from the regular season to the postseason? And that all matters analytically. But Dodgers fans get to watch Mookie Betts play 162 games now, and he's an extraordinarily fun player to do, to watch. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the accounting actuarial type approach to explaining what the Red Sox rationale was here, which it's almost inconceivable to me that they moved Mookie. But we have to acknowledge that they moved one year of Mookie. That is essentially what they traded to the Dodgers here. It's not Mookie in perpetuity. It's not the rest of Mookie's career, although it could have been if they had really wanted it to be, then you would think that they could have made that happen, whether re-signing him next offseason, which I guess in theory is still possible. Hey, if they do that, (laughs) we'll do a podcast about that. And I will as much crow as anybody wants. Yeah. And so, (laughs) you know, if you look at the projections, let's say, you know, what Mookie's worth those seven, eight wins, whatever you think he's worth in 2020. Well, even if you think that Verdugo and Gratterol are going to be average players at at minimum well you add up the five or six years that you have them and you know one of them equals one year of Mookie or, or suppresses one year of Mookie that's kind of if you wanted to to do the balance sheet approach to this that's what they may have been thinking on the other hand though that doesn't take into account what you were just saying which is that really the whole goal of baseball is to develop a Mookie bets and when you find one I think you really want to keep one because your fans get attached to that player He was already the 10th most valuable player or position player in Red Sox franchise history, and he's just getting started. I mean, he was going to be one of the absolute icons of this franchise, and now he's just gone, and they got a couple pretty promising players who will be there for several years, and that might work out in some ways. But still, there's a a real loss to losing the guy who actually does put people in the seats. Not every player does, but Mookie is on the short list of players who do. Just to go back to your actuarial defense, which I don't suspect you actually believe, you're just you know laying out, you know, <laughs> playing a, a devil's advocate. Right. But I'm going to tell you why it's total horseshit. Uh, it's essentially the same logic that Neil Huntington used to, and I wrote this in my column last night. It's the logic that Neil Huntington used to justify the Garrett Cole trade, which was an unmitigated disaster. So I, I just don't and. It seems, you know, you when you said that Red Sox fans were emailing you, that's usually not a good thing. But, <laughs> uh, you know, to the credit of the fans from from what little I've seen, they don't seem to be buying this, no matter, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of cost cutting justifications or or, uh, you know, leaks 
targeted leaks through the media that, that seem to be leaking out. It seems like Red Sox fans, to their credit, are appropriately upset about this. Yes. It's a really strange return, too, because it seems a little bit more present-oriented than a lot of these trades tend to be. Like, Brewster Gratterall is a prospect, but he also has major league experience. Alex Verdugo has major league experience, too. Uh, so it seems like the Red Sox are trying to kind of straddle this line of being somewhat competitive in the near term. But the best way to be competitive in the near term is to keep Mookie Betts. And I think the most frustrating, well, the most frustrating part about this uh, narratively is that the Red Sox needed to get under the luxury tax, which is absurd because in 2018, they won the World Series while going over the luxury tax line and had to pay only $12 million of surcharge there. I think that's probably a worthy trade-off. But the second most frustrating thing is people are acting like the Red Sox who missed the playoffs last year were somehow like doomed to do so again mm -hmm. when they have basically the same team that won 108 games in the World Series in 2018. Last year, you know, they only won 84 games, but they were pretty unlucky. Uh, their Pythagorean record was better than that. Uh, so they underperformed just from some flukiness there. And they underperformed with injuries. According to Fangraph's projections, they, I think, were the fourth best team in baseball before making this trade. So, like, the idea that they needed to trade bets because the season was doomed anyway is absurd. You can compare it to the Nationals last winter. Oh, no, every other team in the NL East is getting better. Anthony Rendon's going to be a free agent next year. We should trade Rendon because we're not going to re-sign him. Well, they keep Rendon and win the World Series. <laughs> so, I'm getting angry about this, but that's because... We've seen this multiple times this winter, and this is very similar to the Corey Kluber trade, where Corey Kluber went from Cleveland to a team that should be competitive because he's making too much money for ownership to handle. And I think our, our website's headlines have reflected our feelings here, where I wrote about the Corey Kluber trade and called it a catastrophe, and Mike wrote about the Mookie Betts trade and called it an utter disgrace. And I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you probably know how we feel about these sorts of things. I, I think it speaks for the fact that it's it's so outrageous. You're angry about it is I think is all our <laughs> listeners really need to know. Um, I do want to, to talk about these two prospects because they're. It is interesting. They're both going to be contributors. I think they're they're both going to be solid big leaguers next year. You know, Gratterall probably out of the bullpen, but we'll see how that goes since the Red Sox having traded Price are in sudden need of another starting pitcher. So maybe they'll give him a shot in the rotation. You know, Verdugo, I think, is going to be a solid, uh, solid corner outfielder for them. Um, this is a, it just speaks volumes to how, like, you have to, you really have to wrap your mind around how good Mookie Betts is and how few players are like him. Cause this is better, this is a better trade return than the Orioles got for, uh, for Manny Machado when they traded him mid-season the year before his walk year um these are two really good talented young players who are under team control for a long time if, if they weren't replacing uh Mookie Betts and David Price they'd be an upgrade uh on most teams in those positions but it's just so like you can't care about what other what other prospects you're going to trade for because you're not going to develop a, uh, another Mookie Betts. You can't care about going over the luxury tax and getting knocked back in the draft order because you're not going to draft another Mookie Betts. It like Mookie Betts, even for you know, Ben, you said he's top ten all time in in WAR for the for the Red Sox, and he's only twenty seven years old. Like he's probably the best Red Sox players. I, I don't know. I said since Carl Yastrzemski, you can make an argument yeah, that since Ted Williams go all the way back to. 
to Ted Williams. Yeah, I think you could, you know, I was trying to be conservative mm-hmm. when I said that. Yeah. Um, so it's, if you're interested, that, that's what's so frustrating uh, about this trade trade to me is that if you're interested in winning, there is no better expenditure of $27 million than on Mookie Betts, uh, unless you can spend it on Mike Trout, but he's spoken for mm-hmm. And if you're at all serious about winning in the short to medium term, you don't make this kind of trade. And the Red Sox ought to always be interested in winning in the short to medium term. That's the thing. If you're trying to cut payroll, and we could debate why the Red Sox seem to think it's so important to cut payroll, given that they are the third most valuable yeah, even franchise in Even granting that premise, is, which is itself <laughs> nonsense. Yeah. Right. Owned by the Fenway Sports Group, which is the third most valuable global sports conglomerate. How much money not, is Liverpool making this year? Yeah. yeah, they're not hurting for funds. So even if you acknowledge that, I, I understand why you would say, oh, well, Mookie, he's a big ticket item. He has a record arbitration contract this year, $27 million. He's going to be making more than that next year. But whatever he is making and will be making will be a lot less than what he's worth because that's the way baseball economics worth work. If we say that the going rate of a, a win on the free agent market is something like $8 million per win, Well, if we say that Mookie is something like a seven-win player, and obviously he's been better than that in some seasons, well, that's $56 and no player in Major League Baseball makes $56 a year. And so even if he's making close to 40, he's still going to be providing much more value than you are giving him. And yes, maybe on the back end of the deal, if it's a long-term deal, he won't be producing as much, but it will work out for you. That's not the area where you are losing money on talent. It's not Mookie Betts. That's the roster spot where you are making money if you're a team. And it's really kind of incredible to think of where the Red Sox are now and the moves that they've made compared to where they were 15 months ago when they capped off one of the most successful seasons of all time. Who would have thought that as they were celebrating that 108-win season and the World Series title, that Dave Dombrowski would be gone, that Alex Cora would be gone, that World Series hero David Price would be gone, and that the MVP of that season in the American League, Mookie Betts, would be gone. There are different reasons why each of those moves was made, but really, it's almost inconceivable that that has happened. I I mean... You said the Red Sox can't control what year it is, but win a bunch of World Series in the first 18 years of the decade, have a great season uh, in year number 18 or 18 years of the century, have a great season in year number 18. And after the 19th season, get rid of your best player for for some quick cash. Like, I don't know. I I don't believe in ghosts, but I don't not believe in ghosts that hard. You know, like, I don't know why you why the Red Sox would want to invite that. Um so let's pull at, pull back a little bit because uh, there are a couple other teams with playoff ambitions that have been involved in this trade. And I do want to touch on them before we get to uh, uh, wrapped up in the Red Sox and Dodgers and we get accused by uh, the Midwesterners of, of ignoring them. I, I'm fascinated by the, the Twins aspect of this trade, uh, that they're giving up I don't know, a top 50, top 30 odd prospect um, for Kent Maeda, who is... You know, a solid but not spectacular starting pitcher. There's a lot of risk to Gratterall's profile, and there's a lot of risk to this trade. But also, like, I really like this trade for almost this aspect of the trade. I was going to say for almost everybody involved. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting that both Maeda and Stripling, those were two swingmen with the Dodgers, essentially, who couldn't regularly crack the Dodgers rotation, and they will have a lot less trouble doing so with their new teams. The number two and three starters on their respective (laughs) teams. Stripling's like the ace of the Angels (laughs) right now when Shohei Otani's not pitching. But yes, I, I think that's an interesting move. Obviously, the Twins sort of came up empty with most of the pitching pursuits that they tried this offseason, and that did still seem to be a weakness of theirs. And they are sort of robbing that to make it stronger in a different way. And and Gretarol's a really intriguing player. We talked about him last year when he came up because, of course, he can touch 102 and he has a pretty good slider. And that's a, a pretty compelling profile. But on the other hand, he's had elbow issues. He's had shoulder issues. He is kind of a max effort guy. And the twins had said he that they the were going to put him in the bullpen. Has the body type. He, he does a little bit. And so the fact that they intended to put him in the pen I think maybe that tells you a little bit about what they thought of his long-term future, whether about the fact that his very fast fastball is a little bit flat potentially, or just because of the injury risk and just not wanting to use him for more innings. So they're sort of taking the safer, lower ceiling, higher floor guy here. So the fact that they were willing to give up Gratterall tells me more about what they thought of Gratterall, I think, than what they thought of Maeda. Yeah, I wrote last offseason about how if you look back at like the last 25 years of prospect rankings top 50 prospects of which Gratterall was one who get traded tend to perform worse over their careers than top 50 prospects who don't get traded the idea being exactly what Ben just said teams probably know their prospects better than anyone else so if the twins were willing to give up Gratterall especially because he could contribute to the team this year then they might not think as highly of him long term, which makes me a little more skeptical of Boston's return than I think some other people on the internet are. But the thing about Maeda that I think is underrated is that the Dodgers have typically turned him into a relief pitcher in the postseason because this top of the rotation has been so dominant that they're able to move Maeda to the bullpen. But I think that that flexibility kind of takes away from the quality of starting pitcher he actually is. He over his career has a 105 ERA plus, which is like for a number three or four pitcher, that's really good. And he, I I think he definitely gives the twins who have some more high variance pitchers in their rotation, like former Maeda teammate, Rich Hill and like Michael Pineda, who is uh, still suspended uh, from last season that those guys could be good come the end of the year and could have higher upside in the playoffs. But Maeda gives them that consistency throughout the whole year when, you know, the twins have Cleveland still in the division and the White Sox creeping up. They can't focus just on the playoffs like the Dodgers can. Yeah, I, you know, Gretel, if he is a reliever, I think he'll be a really good one. Uh, but I would rather have that reliable starting pitcher, particularly for a team that is just set offensively. Uh, particularly after signing Josh Donaldson, which, wow, like <laughs> like adding Josh Donaldson to that lineup anyway. But they started Randy Dobnik in a road playoff game last year. And you look at that rotation, and now you're looking at Barrios, Odorizzi, Maeda, and then if Hill's healthy, he, st- he can start a playoff game and get you, uh, you know, get you five solid innings, but Pineda can probably do that. They've got options now, uh, and their rotation looks a lot deeper than it did this time last year. So I'm... You know, I it's I just love one for one trades, particularly if both players involved can contribute in the short term in uh, 
in the majors because it really like it's it's the front it's both front offices uh, really hanging themselves out on the line, uh, saying that like I think I know this guy better than you do, and it's a uh, you know I I like the 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 clarity of trades like that. So I'm I'm really interested in this aspect of it, even though perhaps it's not the you know uh, the the headline grabbing move. Um, I, one other thing I wanted to say. This would have been a lot more fun if the Padres had traded for Mookie Betts. Like not to be a not to be a buzzkill, but when it came down to the Dodgers or the Padres, uh, this is not the outcome I was rooting for. Just because the NL West would have been three hundred times more fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it because I think the Padres, even with bets, would not have been favored in this division. I I would have taken the Dodgers over even the Padres with bets. And so you can see why they maybe had less incentive to do this if they're essentially fighting for a wild card. And if Mookie is not under team control beyond this year, then you can see why maybe the, the Padres may not have been as motivated. But I agree that it would have made the competitive balance of this division much more interesting because I think if the Dodgers hadn't gotten bets, if the Padres had, and then you have the Diamondbacks who have gotten better and, and were pretty good to begin with, they could have at least given the Dodgers a, a run for their money and, and put some pressure on them. It could have been a race. And if some things had gone wrong for the Dodgers, then you never know. Whereas now it just seems like uh, the Dodgers are, are pretty unassailable there. So that's true. On the other hand, I'm glad that Mookie went somewhere where he will be in the spotlight, where we can expect to see him in the playoffs. Basically, I want the highest profile for Mookie possible because he is one of the best representatives of baseball and just one of the most enjoyable baseball players, period. And he has to be in the biggest possible market to do that. You're such a New Yorker. (laughs) Can, Can I go back to the Twins for a second? Because I want to ask you. Could always go back to the Twins. (laughs) So the other team that we've kind of tangentially mentioned in this conversation is the Angels, who appear poised to get uh, Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling. I'm curious if you believe this, because according to the FanGraphs projection page right now, which isn't complete, they don't you know finish uh, finalizing their projections until uh, I think later this month. They've said, but according to their preliminary projections right now. The top three teams in baseball, no surprise, are the Astros, Dodgers, and Yankees. Right now, they have the Angels number four and the Twins number five. Do, <laughs> I, do you believe gonna... that? I don't <laughs> Who's think I'm ready to go there. <laughs> I think that's probably going to change. Yeah, I don't buy it. Although I was looking at the Angels lineup earlier today, and it's a pretty strong it's lineup, good. almost it's top to really bottom. Good. I mean, yeah. with Rendon in there, with Peterson in there, with Castro in there now. You still have Pujols weighing you down to a certain extent, but that's a really strong lineup. And yes, they're not going to pitch well, even with some of the updates, upgrades that they've made. But, you know, runs are runs. Maybe they can just bash all the other teams in while those teams are bashing them. That's why I bring this up. Yeah, trading for Stripling, they now have like one and one third starting pitchers. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's why I bring this up. I think Jock Peterson obviously pales next to Mookie Betts, but he's a sneaky, strong upgrade for the Angels, who, at least until Joe Adele, their top prospect, is ready to make the majors, needed another outfielder. And Jock Peterson fits that perfectly. He has hammered right handed pitchers his entire career. And maybe, you know, you can make a platoon with him at some point. Uh, But he's a fun player. And that Angels team is going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun to watch, especially when they're hitting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Adele is going to be up at some point this year, presumably, but it's not like he's blocked by Peterson. Peterson's just there for one year, and it's not like Adele is definitely ready right away either because he just got to AAA toward the end of last season. He didn't really rake there. He played in the fall league, but he hasn't shown yet that he deserves to be there. So they can take their time with him, and odds are rookie Adele at 20 is not going to be better than Jock Peterson right now. So I think it gives them some certainty and some insurance in case Upton doesn't bounce back from his down year last year. Yeah, they can also play around, you know, um, based on the the throwing hand of the opposition pitcher, you know, maybe get Pujols out of the lineup because, you know, Justin Upton's in that lineup too. I mean, they've got, mm-hmm. and they've now got like David Fletcher and Brian Goodwin coming off the, the bench. Like, I don't know. My maybe, guy, David Fletcher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> ben, yeah. Ben, you weren't wrong that the Angels are interesting. You were just early. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> one year, one year premature. I'm curious before we wrap up, what have you been telling these Red Sox fans who have been emailing you asking for new teams? <laughs> I haven't answered them yet. <laughs> you have any advice? What should I tell them? I mean, um, look, I just giving I think, you free effectively wild content. At this yeah. In general, I think that's a difficult thing to do just to consciously change your affiliation. But If you were thinking about it for other reasons, perhaps, then I can see why Mookie might be the breaking point. I mean, that is the type of player who you really bond with, who just becomes associated with that franchise and becomes a big part of why you enjoy watching that team. So I get it. I would just caution you that whatever team that you get attached to next will probably also do something to break your heart oh, <laughs> at some <no>. point. So <laughs> it's don't, true. It's just the grass sad. is not necessarily greener. Like Red Sox fans have had it pretty good in this millennium on the whole. You know what you should tell them, Ben, is there's another team that wasn't worried about going into the luxury tax this year and wasn't worried about handing out a contract over $300 million to a player who deserved it. <laughs> I think they should become Yankees fans. That's the obvious solution. Exactly. You know, if, they're, if they're concerned about uh, frugality. I, yeah. I, this is all right. This we're not going to top Zach Cram getting angry and doing the ultimate heel term in the heel <laughs> turn in the same half hour podcast. So I think, uh, unless anybody else has something pressing, uh, now's a good time to end it. You don't want to gloat about James Paxton getting hurt? I'm not going to gloat <laughs> that much about James Paxton getting hurt. I'm, okay. I'm very sorry for for Zach that his uh, the light of his life is now riddled with cysts and had to have a bacchiotomy. Um, Lance <laughs> Lynn is great. doing just fine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've. I've James Paxson is is a, a great pitcher and fun to watch, and I hope he makes a speedy recovery. I don't mean to make light of injuries. It's just not every day that I am so overwhelmingly right about something that Zach is so overwhelmingly wrong about. <laughs> Can I sell anyone on the Wilpons? Can I sell anyone on almost Steve Cohen? No? <laughs> you, I, I've said this from the, from the beginning. You dodged a bullet there. I'm sure I did. Yeah, I'm still stuck with a different bullet, though. Yeah, I mean, talking about talking about how it can always get worse or, you know, whatever team you pick is just going to break your heart, too. It can get worse in the World Ponds. All right. It can always so get worse. We'll end on yeah, that On note. that optimistic note, uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, Zach and Ben, for joining me uh, to talk about this fascinating and infuriating story. Uh, thanks, Bobby, for producing today's episode. Uh, go read all of our columns on TheRinger.com. Uh, and uh, thanks to all of you out there for listening. We'll see you next time. 